0: everyone and welcome back to my podcast Dunya Rising. I'm Dunya and I'm a DJ, musician, sound healer and podcaster and I'm on a mission to give a platform to the voices that aren't normally heard in the mainstream narrative and to share the stories of inspiring people. And this series is focused on spirituality, well-being and creativity. Today we hear from Veronica Dodds a very remarkable woman who I met when she did an astrology reading, a reading of my birth chart shortly after my birthday this year. And my reading with Veronica was so insightful, and I was struck by how personal it was to my life, right down to specific details. And I've often been judged for being a Gemini, people viewing Geminis as the stereotypical two-faced or flaky. But what I've learned about astrology is that our sun sign is crucial, but there are so many aspects to our chart. Our rising, our moon, what house each sign is in. And in this episode, Veronica reminds us that our charts are as unique as our fingerprints. There are no two Geminis that are exactly the same. And just like energy and life is constantly in motion, so is our birth charts. We're not stuck. There's always change. In this episode, Veronica powerfully pieces together the links between mental health and astrology. She talks about mental health on an individual and collective level and how astrology can help us to find meaning and truth. Veronica makes a strong point. A lot of us are actually suffering with fatigue in this society, and maybe we would feel less burnt out and tired if we connected to our vitality. What brings us joy? And how might astrology help us to tune into our unique strengths and gifts? She shares how astrology can teach us how to understand ourselves and through this understanding and acceptance of ourselves comes self-love. And I am really excited that the end of this episode features a guided meditation led by Veronica with a theme of astrology with music produced by my friend and the incredible producer Starseed Soul. It is such a beautiful track so you can listen to that at the end of this episode and I'll also include links to Starseed Souls music in the description. I have to include a trigger warning for this episode. There is a segment which references an extreme act of violence and severe cases of mental illness which can be of course really distressing to listen to so I've included available support services also in the description and here are some of my favourite quotes from the episode.
1: Astrology is ruled by the planet Uranus. The planet Uranus has many meanings. It can mean revolution, liberation, but it also means truth. I think astrology can teach us first of all about ourselves and how to love ourselves. Everything in the universe is in motion and therefore One's birth chart has the potential to be constantly in motion. You aren't stuck. There's always change. There's always hope. Fast forward to the age of Aquarius. It's an age when the power is to the people much more. The power comes from within. We are our own authority, rather than listening to the authority of governments and institutions.
0: Monica, I just wanted to express my gratitude. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Obviously, when I first had my reading with you, I was really struck by how powerful it was. It was life changing in many ways. And I was struck by how personal it was and how much astrology can be so personal to what's actually manifesting in our lives. And so I'm just thrilled that you're on this podcast and that we get to hear some of your wisdom and learn more about your book. So thank you, Veronica.
1: Well, thank you for coming for a reading and it was a pleasure to read for you.
0: You said to me about a lot of your intention being sharing the truth and how important that is. And I wondered that you said to me about the fact that you know, speaking the truth is really important to you, but also from an astrological perspective. Could you just share with listeners what you mean by that when you were talking about Uranus and why the truth speaking is actually in alignment with your chart?
1: Well, from a very personal perspective, I have Sun in Leo, which is about individuality. So it's often from a personal perspective. Most of my life, until I found astrology, Everything I was told struck me as a lie. My parents' values and the religion I was brought in, my education seemed totally like not truthful to me. And I expressed this both in my family and in my school and was met with, shut up, be quiet. And inwardly I I felt like an alien. Then when somebody did my birth chart, And interpreted it for me. And she described my life and described me. And I thought, my God, this isn't a lie. This is the truth of who I feel I am. And astrology is ruled by the planet Uranus. The planet Uranus has many meanings. It can mean revolution, liberation, but it also means truth. And I have Mercury, which is how you communicate in a harmonious aspect to the planet Uranus, which says to me, it's quite natural for me to communicate authentically or truthfully. And sometimes that's a problem for other people
0: yeah.
1: who aren't <laughs> ready to receive. Me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Some people aren't ready to receive the truth. But I thought, what a powerful way to start the podcast that actually it's so much embodies who you are to speak the truth from an astrological perspective and that your name actually means the truth. So what an interesting way to start this podcast in which I hope will be a platform for hearing your truth. What I wanted to start with is obviously we know that you're an astrologer. You're also a Reiki healer, a hypnotherapist, a speech and language therapist I've just found out and a trained actress. Acting is a really important part of your life So, I'd be interested to learn more about acting and your journey into becoming a healer and maybe the crossover between the two.
1: Well, let me start off by going back to astrology. There's something in my chart which describes me as a wounded healer. So, someone who's come from a place of deep wounding, healed as much as one can in one's life, and through that, wanting to heal others. I can tell you what about my early childhood was deeply wounding. For me, it was, it was not average, my childhood. It was deeply wounding. I describe in my book the first line of my journey is, just after I was born, I nearly died. My mother, who was a very, very good person, had an illness which in that period in history was called puerple psychosis. I think now it might be more familiar to people as infanticide. So I was there with my twin brother, that's huge in my life that I'm a twin, and she wanted to kill us both. She walked between the cots to try and smother us both with a pillow. And my father came in and found her just before she did. I went into therapy many years later and and described this to my therapist. And his opinion of how this might have affected me, he said, a child who experiences its mother as wanting it to die feels inside, I am so worthless, I'm not even worth keeping alive. Fourteen months later, my father, who was alive and I didn't experience as wanting to kill me, he actually saved me, died. So inside of myself was this feeling, she tried to kill me. And he obviously agrees with me because he's disappeared. A pre-verbal child can't rationalize the parent has died. They just experience the parent of having gone. So I started off Perhaps in life with this feeling of total worthlessness and being rejected. There was nothing good about me. So that was the beginning of the wound. And fast forward to 1971, my brother, who I loved so much, I can't, there, there aren't words to describe how much I adored my twin brother, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And my mother and I were told, he will be locked up for the rest of his life. So for me, that was really his death. I'd lost him. So I won't tell any more wounds than that, but those are fairly major ones for me.
0: I was just going to say thank you for, you know, being so honest about that. And I suppose, like, I wonder, in a sense, going through so much early trauma actually then lends to being such a powerful healer. And having that deep sense of compassion for others because you've experienced that level of suffering, you know, that on that journey of, you know, extreme things happening to you. I want to come back to astrology because you've already shared and been really honest about having very traumatic experiences from a young age. And in your book, you mentioned that astrology has made your life feel possible under what so often has felt like impossible circumstances for you. So what was it about astrology that really sparked your interest? And how long have you been an astrologer for?
1: Well, I'll say when I first discovered Astrology was in 1979, and for a long time it was a hobby, not a profession. And my work as an astrologer started around 1987. But for me, every aspect of life teaches me astrology. If somebody said to me, how did you learn astrology? Of course, I did courses, I read books, but my greatest learning has come from life experience. So I've been an astrologer in many lifetimes as well.
0: I have been. Ah, I see. Yeah, and I
1: was once told by somebody that there'll become a point where you don't ever need to read another astrology book because all you need to know is in your soul. And sometimes when I'm doing a reading, I'll say something to somebody, and and after the reading I think, oh, my God, I never read that anywhere. It must have come from my soul.
0: Yes, I can imagine such an intuitive practice as well, because there's a certain element of you reading and analysing the chart. But there's also an element of you actually connecting with the person that you're reading and maybe intuitively things coming through too.
1: Absolutely. And I think my training as an actress almost comes into that because my job as an actress is to become another person, to understand another person. And a lot of my training as an actress has been around that.
0: They're so linked, astrology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely interested to draw that link, actually. And I was curious because you said that it started as a hobby for you. But what was it that really captured your attention to it? Was it that you had a reading and it, you know, it was really powerful? Like, what made you so passionate about astrology? Because it made sense
1: and nothing else made sense. Everything I read in the media didn't make sense. Everything I learned at school didn't make sense. And also because of the darker side of my life, because of the suffering in my life, it kind of made it more possible because I thought, there's a purpose for this. There's more to our lives than life on earth. This is my karma. I've been given this for a reason somehow that made it more possible for me that there was a reason. And I am aware that in the, the Chinese language that the word for crisis is also the word for opportunity. And so much of the crisis in my life, I've really worked hard at seeing the doors it's opened for me, the gifts it's given me, the opportunities it's given me. It's given me meaning in life. It's made me more accepting of myself, and I think the more accepting I am of myself, the more accepting I am of others. It's helped me understand my relationships, both my strengths in relationship and my weaknesses in relationship. And it's also shown me the potential for change in one's Mm. life because there's so much in my life around this is how it is and it will always be like that I was told age 42 after I'd been sucked into the mental health system you will spend the rest of your life on the back ward of a psychiatric hospital which actually I personally think is a very dangerous thing to say to somebody but my understanding of astrology made me see that that wasn't necessarily the case and if we're talking in terms of Frequency or energy, you know, we can express our chart from a low frequency. We can express it all from a point of fear. But if we learn to raise the frequency of our chart, and the highest way to express our chart is from a point of love, which is the highest frequency, and that's kind of the, what I aim for to raise the frequency, raise the vibration of my chart and move forward as a person that way.
0: That's really interesting that you mention that because I suppose there are sort of a lot of sceptics around astrology, people that think it's a bunch of woo-woo, that we're putting people into boxes. So it's interesting that you say that you can express your chart from a low frequency or from a higher frequency. And perhaps, you know, that's what people feel like, oh, does my what is this set in stone? Is this just who I am? But then you're kind of saying the opposite, that no, it's not completely set in stone. And you're using it as a tool rather than as a prescription, as this is who you are. This is the way it will always be. It seems like you're saying the opposite, actually. And I remember in my own reading that you said to me something like energy is neutral and yeah. that We shouldn't be seeing things as good or bad because I've often experienced, oh, you're a Gemini. Oh, and and this sort of judgment that comes with being a Gemini. The Gemini is known as being two-faced, for example, and, and these like black and white judgments that come. I really wanted to break down astrology for people that perhaps don't know too much about it, but are quite curious. In your book, you write, your birth chart is a map of our solar system on the day, month and year of your birth, as seen from the place of your birth on planet Earth at the time of your birth. So we've got 12 signs and 12 houses. Our sun is our center, our inner self. But often people focus on the sun without looking at the rest of the chart. So, when we're studying our own charts, where should we start? What's key to look at? Is there any key planets we should be looking at? I know there's things like transits. Is there any way that you can help us to understand the basics a little bit?
1: Astrology is an interpretive art. So, different astrologers would say to you to look at a different. Part of the chart to start with I was trained To look at the element balance First How many planets in earth How many planets in air How many planets in fire How many planets in water That was my training But I found my own way of doing it now I look at the sun First I spend a lot of time Looking at the sun And looking at the moon The Sun and the Moon, we can both see out of the window. All of us can see out of the window. They are closest to the Earth and therefore the most powerful. We are on the Earth, but what's closest to the Earth is is the most powerful, in my opinion, because what's outside of us is reflected inside of us. My interpretation of the Sun would be that it's a part of us that isn't affected by our, our conditioning or our programming. It's our true self, our wholeness. But we're born into families, belief systems, cultures, periods of history which alter this. The sun is our vitality, our energy, it's our identity. But my belief is very few people actually connect to the truth of their sun. And when I said it was our vitality, What's one of the most common things in our society? In my experience, it's fatigue. Mm. If we were connected to our vitality, perhaps we'd be a much more energetic society. So first of all, look at the sign the sun is in. You have sun in Gemini. There's somebody, I have sun in Leo. When you've looked at the sign, look at the element of that sign. So with sun in Gemini, the element is air. So your essence is about air, communication, thinking. Air is the thinking self, the communicating self. It's the learning self. And I think something we're not taught about communication is that one of the most important parts of communication, I believe, is communication with oneself. How can one communicate with another before one can communicate with oneself? And another important aspect of communication, which I was never taught about, is listening. Mm. There's so much about talking. What about listening? That's a very important part of communication. Particularly in British society, which is often nicknamed the stiff upper lip society, one is told what it is acceptable to communicate. It isn't often, in my generation, particularly acceptable to communicate the truth of what you're feeling. You Mm. talk about external things. Uh, The moon is more about what you feel. And I think that creates a lack of balance in our society. It's much more about external things rather than internal things. And again, I think it would be a, a healthier society if it was a more balanced society. I think where there's balance, there's harmony. Where there's harmony, there's health.
0: It's so interesting how you can think about balance being reflected in the chart and how actually you mentioned it's really important to think about the different elements. I wondered whether you could help us to understand the fact that we have our signs, but they're sitting in certain houses, because I think that's a really key part of the chart that people miss, is the houses. What does that mean?
1: Well, the houses are the same number as the signs, they're 12. And you're absolutely right. I would say to someone, if we go back to the sun, I would say, that the house position of the sun is as important or almost as important as the sign. That's my experience. The houses are different areas of life. For example, the seventh house is the relationship house, the sixth house is the house of work. So, if you had your sun in the sixth house, for example, you might be someone. Who identifies or finds your identity through your work? If you had your son in the 10th, which I do, one interpretation of that, you find your identity through your career. And I think career is very different to work. The third house is ruled by Mercury, so maybe that will interest some in Germany. The third house is about communication, it also shows short journeys. It shows our siblings. I have Chiron, the wound in my third house. My brother was diagnosed with schizophrenia. There's my wound in the correct house in the chart, in my opinion.
0: Also, really helpful because I think, again, sometimes the way we look at charts can be very surface level. So, for example, like I said to you, I would say, Oh, I'm a Gemini, and and that immediate judgment would come in around being flaky or two-faced and a lot of their stereotypes around a Gemini. And what this is reminding us is that actually there's so much more to our charts. We're all so individual. And I think the individual truth is something that you've often advocated for, which really neatly leads me on to my next question, because on your website, you said... Astrology shows you who you truly are as an individual, as unique as your fingerprints. And in your book, you write, the cosmos does not judge and separate. It accepts all life and is one with it as above, so below, as within, so without. It does not fear our individuality, but rather enables it so we can fulfill our part as a fractal of the whole. The natal chart shows us our fractal, our part, our truth. When we understand the seed we are in the Garden of Eternity, we can then grow, flourish and fulfill our part at the highest and purest level. And you've also said that our culture is both blind and deaf to the truth of the individual and our connection with nature. And when you did my birth chart for me, you told me that the only real security is within, which really struck me. Really beautiful passage from your book and a real poignant message about our individual truth, which really strikes me from a cultural level, being half Moroccan and seeing a lot of suppression in Arab cultures around individuality. So this individual truth really strikes a nerve for me it really hits me deeply can you expand on how astrology really helps us to connect with our individual truth
1: well it's only going to help us connect with our individual truth if we understand its language it is a language so if it's used i would say if it's used well we talk about gemini and the myths around gemini i don't think myth was the word you used, but there are stereotypes around astrological signs. But my opinion is there's not any one Gemini on this planet, and I can't pretend to know how many Geminis there are on planet Earth who is the same. There's certain qualities are the same, but there's no one else who's exactly the same as Donya. So that's why I try to dialogue with my client. I'll say, well, your son in Gemini tells me A B C D about you. Is that how you feel it? It has to be a two-way process because otherwise, we're getting into the realms of dictatorship. The astrologer sitting there with the knowledge and saying this is how you are, and that doesn't feel right to me. It feels right to me. I would say actually that I've learned as much astrology from my clients as I have because they tell me there side of the story in every gemini i will express gemini differently
0: yeah i think that's really important because otherwise again it's like we're putting ourselves into more boxes and categories that can be like a glass ceiling and it can be really inhibiting astrology shows you who you truly are as an individual as unique as your fingerprints it reminds us that we're all individual unique signatures and how beautiful that actually is
1: it took me a long time to realise that because I was brought up, this is how you should be. So I kind of became a bit like a robot and I mm-hmm. suffered from depression. No wonder I did because I I pressed down who I was. If you look at the word depression, it's an interesting word, pressed down the truth perhaps.
0: Mm. That's really interesting because it makes me think about so many people struggling with depression and mental health problems in the UK and how much we feel that maybe we're not able to express our authentic truth and how much that makes us feel disconnected to ourselves, disconnected to our communities. very interested in bridging the worlds of mental health and astrology because you've stressed that we're not just our minds, we're our body, mind, emotion and spirit. You've mentioned that our bodies are a map of our consciousness, that we create disease to teach us something, which I think is really powerful. Do you think our culture has too many mental health labels? Can you offer us any guidance on how we can treat health holistically? Well,
1: I have to be careful here because I'm not a health professional. And so I'm just saying, again, it's my opinion. If someone comes to see me, who I think I'm not qualified even to give a chart to, I will tell them to go to their general practitioner. I work intuitively with people's health. So back to your question of are there too many labels? Yes. I mean, I was absolutely horrified when someone told me that loneliness had become a label. Loneliness, a mental health label? I would say that loneliness is an appropriate reaction to isolation. In my view, most what are called, I have to stress, what are called mental health conditions are appropriate reactions, maybe to early life trauma, to a situation, a loss of job, poverty, so many things. And to feel bad about those things is healthy. It's inappropriate. To me, I'm more worried about someone who's gone through a dreadful experience. Oh, I'm fine. To me, that is more concerning because it's against Mm -hmm. nature. It's against our nature as I believe it, to feel fine when you've lost someone you love. Mm. And I've heard people say that, oh, I'm fine, no problem. I can cope with it, I just keep busy. Mm. Do you understand what I'm trying yeah, to say?
0: Yeah, I do. and it, And it kind of makes me feel sad that we live in a culture where it's normalized that there's high rates of suicide and that's just something that we seem to accept. No acknowledgement of how have we created a society in which it's normal for people to want to end their lives, but instead put all the kind of blame and responsibility on the individual, rather than actually looking deeper into the root causes and saying there are many people that are feeling disconnected. There are many people that don't feel that like they have a good support system or a sense of community. With social animals, you know, we need our people. So I really resonate when you say that a lot of these labels are actually appropriate reactions to trauma and to disconnection. I think that's a really, really important message because, of course, we should have accountability about our choices and and the way that we create our lives. But also there needs to be a sense of sympathy and acknowledgement for the fact that actually a lot of us are living in a culture that kind of, it is a bit like keep calm and carry on, you know, get on with it, get a job, carry on, even though you're depressed, you know, contribute. We might be treating the symptoms, but really a lot of the time, my experience of working in mental health was that people had become so institutionalised, it was very difficult for them to have any independence left. And I found it really sad to witness people that were so used to giving their freedoms away that it was almost like they didn't want freedom anymore. They, they really then became reliant on the system. I know that you want to tread carefully on this topic, but I think it's a really important message because it's a message that has more compassion to exactly. people rather than judgment and blame. When
1: I was in the mental health system, it was quite often that I heard people say, oh, here comes the nutter, here comes the sicko here comes the loony. And I thought, hang on a moment, hang on a moment. But I didn't have the courage to say anything. And as you say, surely the appropriate reaction is to have compassion and empathy for these people, not judge them. They are suffering. Surely a healthy reaction to suffering is to feel for the person, to have sympathy for them. My understanding of compassion, it might be completely wrong, is that it comes from the soul. Mm. And we live in a secular society. So maybe that's one of the problems. What
0: does that mean, we live in a secular society? A secular
1: society is a society that's not really based on spirituality or the values of the soul. It's much more a materialistic society. Our education is aimed at earning money, getting a job, so you feel secure. Well, that's, of course, there's a value in that. You don't want to be homeless, and you don't want to be starving. But what's the point of having a home and security if you're sitting in that home with material security,
0: feeling suicidal? Yes.
1: I don't see the point, frankly.
0: And again, reminds me of You know That moment in my own reading with you, when you reminded me that the only security comes from within, which is kind of the opposite message from a secular society that says your happiness comes from all external items. When you get a house, when you get married, when you get the car, when you earn enough money for society, that's where your happiness lies. But I suppose the message you're saying is actually we're living in this spiritual dimension of soul and spirit, and that our happiness is within.
1: Well, I mean, there are two main ways that I notice people experience themselves as having security, whether it's an illusion or not, I won't judge. One is money, and the other is from another person, a partnership, a relationship. Oh, this person doesn't make me happy, but my understanding of happiness is it's a state of being within us we also need to take more responsibility as a society for how we feel. We Mm. need to take responsibility that perhaps it's our feeling nature and the way we react to certain things that make us feel unhappy.
0: I'm really, really glad again that you've stressed that message. I definitely feel personally that I've often carried that kind of illusory storyline of I will be happy when I'm in a relationship. I will be happy when I have X amount of money and then I can finally be happy. And I know a lot of people are struggling with this kind of like narrative that our happiness lies somewhere in the future. And we're not quite there. But at one point, everything will fall into place and then we'll be happy. Often other people. reflecting something that's already within me, which really helps me to come back to my personal power, that I'm not at the whim of others. I can take accountability, like you're saying. We've talked a lot about the individual. But you also mentioned in your last workshop, you said we live in an air-Earth society. You mentioned that each country actually has a chart and that the United Kingdom is Capricorn. Can you expand on what you mean by this?
1: The sun in the chart of the United Kingdom is in the sign of Capricorn. I might have got this wrong. I think the moon's in Aries, but I might have got it wrong. So, Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. I experience the United Kingdom as a very Saturn society. So Saturn is very much about tradition. There's some some wonderful traditions and wonderful history in this country. So that's a positive side for me about the Saturn. There's wonderful traditions of theatre and the arts in this country, but It's a very hierarchical society. Capricorn rules hierarchies. The class system is something that absolutely horrifies me because it separates people. We're judged by our class. What our class is is nothing to do with who we are or what our values are, in my experience. If we have values that are attributed to our class, We've been programmed to have them rather than their authentic values.
0: I do feel that many people would probably relate to that, that. The UK is very hierarchical. And we experience a lot of, not just in our class, in our race, in sexuality, a lot of different hierarchies as to what our worth is. When we know, again, on bringing it back to spirit, we're not our class, we're not our sexuality, we're not our age. We're something so much more powerful than that.
1: Exactly.
0: I also wanted to bring you back to the fact that you said that we live in an air-earth society. Can you explain what you mean by that?
1: My experience of this society, because I was born at the middle of the 20th century, things are very different now. I'm 73 years old. But my experience of the society is the education system is based on air. It's based on facts. The knowledge of facts, remembering those facts, And regurgitating them in an exam has a profound effect on your life in many ways. From the Earth perspective, what is Earth material stuff? So we live on a society that our education system, being very air-based, teaches you and wants you to get certain qualifications so that you can buy the Earth stuff with money, have a good house. Have a good job. Whereas if people not who have their sun sign in fire or water, who have an emphasis on fire and water are much more people who have a relationship with the invisible, medium psychics, astrologers, I have a very strong relationship with the invisible, which was has been pathologized. You know, the right brain self, the imagination. Intuition, creation. I don't think that it might be a bit more valued in our society. Now, I call that the fire, water side of stuff.
0: For me, being a highly sensitive person, that I'm too sensitive, I'm being way too sensitive when actually I would say I'm really in tune with my own emotions and the emotions of others, which is a gift. But I was told I'm too sensitive for society. So I think it's a really important message that you're saying because rather than diminishing people with these qualities, we're saying actually no, they serve a purpose, it's part of the whole. To me, one of the major
1: problems on, in this world is the lack of sensitivity to other people. Mm. So to me, to be, to have, to be sensitive, I would, I would give an Oscar for sensitivity. Yes. <laughs> and good to know. Someone who is sensitive to the feelings of others. And I think part of that is we live in as a society where people apologize for crying. It's part of nature to cry. Why do we have tear ducts in our bodies? The body has mm-hmm. great wisdom. And I think so people are also told they're too powerful. Just because you're sensitive doesn't mean you can't be powerful. You can have the combination of the two.
0: Ah, uh, yes. This actually reminds me of a conversation or something with a friend, the idea that if you're in your vulnerability, that you're not stepping into your power. Being vulnerable is also stepping into your power as well.
1: I totally agree with you. I think one of the greatest powers we have, because through that, we can have feeling for others and enable others to heal. That sensitivity and vulnerability is a powerful healing force.
0: And I was really curious because I've heard you mention this and a few other astrologers about the significance that we're coming out of an age of Pisces Where we've had the establishment ruling us. And when I say establishment, I'm referring to the governments, the police, the media, all working in coordination. Into an age of Aquarius, what does this mean for the world on a bigger scale?
1: Well, let me just give you a bit of astronomy to to begin that answer. Each age is 2000 years long. So nobody who's alive on the earth at the moment is going to see much of the age of Aquarius. That's just the facts of life, that uh, life on this planet is transitory. My sense of the age of Pisces is, it's uh, an age where our power came from outside of us. As you mentioned, governments, institutions, it's not all necessarily negative in my opinion. I think some people do have the need for outside power. And then I don't think that necessarily means they have a victim-type personality. It's just their personality. They need guidance. To fast forward to the age of Aquarius, my understanding of it is it's an age when the power is to the people much more. The power comes from within. We are our own authority rather than listening to the authority of governments and institutions. But I don't want to say that everything about the age of Pisces was negative. Pisces rules compassion. Jesus Christ was part of the age of Pisces. There was a lot of compassion towards people in that age. But for people who want their own power, I think the age of Aquarius will be, they'll have more chance to have it. I'm not a clairvoyant. I'm not a seer. I mean, I can't tell you what the world would be like in a thousand years' time. I wish I did have that ability, but I
0: don't. Oh, but I, I have so many questions for you, Veronica. I love that you said it's an age of power to the people. And revolution has been such a theme for me in my life right now. Is this a time for more revolution, would you say?
1: Well, it depends what you mean by revolution. I listen to the astrologer Pam Gregory quite a lot. She talks about the shadow side of the age of Aquarius, which can be the use of technology dehumanizing us so let's not just look at the positive, let's get a balance of the positive and the negative and her response to that is the way beyond dehumanization is to get into our heart, mm. so perhaps the potential of the age of Aquarius is more people will get into their hearts, and it will be a loving society because the only place where there is love is in the heart yes i mean i i can only hope that's it i can't know
0: Our oh, still fills me with hope and joy power to the people moving into aquarius obviously like you said having a balanced perspective we could do a whole episode on technology dehumanizing us and the risks of that but also a message of hope moving away from just being a mental-based thinking air society into our heart space and how profound that can be. It feels like coming back to the magic. My last question to you, which is probably the most important you say that we do not need to search for love, but rather connect with the truth, the truth that we are love. Astrology can teach us about love if we can and want to receive it. Can you tell us some more about this?
1: I talk about the time of forgetting. I think we have forgotten our true nature. And perhaps our true nature is love, but During the time of the patriarchy, and I think there's a lot of talk around the patriarchy at the moment, the patriarchy, you know, ruling our financial systems, our medical systems, there's so much fear. I read a book, and in it, it said, if you're in a dilemma about something, ask yourself the question, what would love do in this situation? And I found that so empowering. And so helpful. The sun in Leo, I'm, it rules the heart. So it just I resonated with that straight away. I don't separate love, the love of the whole, from the love of the individual. And that's just what came through me. I think those that say they don't want love, don't need love, quite frankly, align to themselves. I think it's a basic need for all of us. I mean, we might define love in a different way. We might show it in a different way. But I can't believe that anyone would be happy if they knew everybody hated them. And that tells me that there's something inside of us is love. And I think it's the soul. Our inner self, our higher self, our inner God, our inner goddess, our soul self. I have no doubt about the existence of the soul. I feel my soul, and I don't believe the soul hates. So I think what's happened is that we've, been, we've forgotten about our soul selves, but we all have souls, and therefore we all are beings of love. I think okay. if we want to answer life's most profound questions, we need to look at the soul.
0: Yeah. Often I find that spiritual dimension to this existence is really missing from our education, from our theories, from our work life, from every aspect of life. It seems that spirituality seems to be some sort of separate tick box that we can tick or we can look at or not, even though it encompasses everything to who we are, because we are predominantly on a truth level the soul, spirit. And our bodies die and decompose but on a spiritual level there is eternal life is what I believe I pray I hope so I think it is a really important perspective coming back to what would love do and it also reminds me of a few things the very famous Rumi quote that your task is not to seek for love but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it and I think that's a really, really beautiful one because, again, it comes back to your message of going within because we are love.
1: And I think what you said about the barriers to love, that's what's made us forget it mm. because it's like there's a 50-foot concrete wall between us and our hearts after the mm. time. And it's not our faults. Yeah. It's a sign uh, of society, culture, et cetera.
0: And how can astrology teach us about love?
1: I think astrology can teach us, first of all, about ourselves and how to love ourselves. Because people say it's terribly important to accept yourself. But how can you accept yourself if you don't know who yourself is? How can you accept something you don't know? And the birth chart shows you who you are. So that's why I'm saying it's so important to look at your chart And not judge who you are except it. So, first of all, start with self-love. Because I believe very basic psychology is that we relate to others as we relate to ourselves. And others relate to us as we relate to ourselves. So, to quote the late Louise Hay, good mental health begins with self-love. The late Carl Jung said the only way to change society is to change the individual. He was an astrologer.
0: I didn't know he was an astrologer, but he had to
1: keep it quiet for obvious reasons. Yeah, but he was.
0: Wow. It's really powerful. Again, coming back to self-love and how astrology can really help us to accept ourselves for who we are, the unique, beautiful signatures that we've all got these wonderful gifts. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses, but there is something unique to us. Again, perhaps my feeling that we, we all come with that purpose. I think it's really beautiful that you're bridging the gap between astrology, mental health, and what would love to. I just really want to thank you so much. I really think you're a very remarkable woman, Veronica, and I'm so glad I got to have this opportunity to speak with you. It was an honour to be asked. Thank you, Donia. What an amazing woman and healer Veronica is. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And to find out more about Veronica's work and her soon to be published book, please find links to her website in the description. And I would really recommend getting a birth chart reading from her and discovering more about yourself. And for anyone that is needing further support, I've also included some links to mental health resources and services in the description. And to finish this episode, I'm so grateful we get to listen to a first release of Veronica's guided meditation, the theme of astrology with music produced by the incredible Star Seed soul and you can check out further links to her music also in the description thanks for listening
1: just make yourself comfortable wherever you are and take a deep breath don't force your breath, for your breath is yours and yours alone. Just breathe in, in your own way, deeply and gently. May my feet, which are ruled by the sign of Pisces, be filled with love to give them healing. May I feel the love of Mother Earth rising through the soles of my feet. May my calves and ankles which are ruled by Aquarius be healed by my truth which is love. May I feel them healed by planet Uranus, bringing me clarity and freedom within. May my knees, which are ruled by Capricorn, help me ascend the mountain of my life, so that I can spread the wisdom of Saturn the earth the wisdom that is love peace respect and integrity for all that lives may the underworld of my bowel ruled by Pluto cleanse me of all I no longer need so that I feel deeply purified Bringing light to the darkness, allowing rebirth, regeneration, and transformation, bringing a body which is healthy, whole, and in harmony with the seasons that govern all life. May my organs of reproduction, ruled by the moon, bring nurturance to myself and all those who need it. Healing any trauma, pain, and loss within me. And healing to those in the world who are suffering, great loss. May my throat, ruled by Venus, be used to communicate all that needs to be heard. May I say my truth and accept your truth, bringing about a unity of difference, the realm of relationships where difference unites rather than separates. May my mind speak and think with a reason. May Mercury, the messenger of the gods, journey near the sun within all of us, so that we speak our truth knowing that it is of value. Whoever accepts it or rejects it, for we all have a truth that is of value. Let us all receive the love the cosmos gives. Let us all receive the light the stars in the sky shine on us. Let us all know inner peace, harmony, and self-love. Let us all dance to the music of the spheres. Let us sing the harmonies that are all around us. Let us all play our part on life's eternal stage so that all resonates in a tapestry and web of light, each one of us the weaver of our own tapestry. The tapestry of life which brings wholeness and health to body, heart, mind and spirit. When aligned to the truth and beauty, of our divine nature.